Taking Stock with Mandy Johnston. Thanks to Skillnet Ireland, driving business success through innovative training and upskilling. This is News Talk. You're welcome to News Talks Taking Stock. I'm Mandy Johnston. And on today's show, we're going to take an in-depth look at what's happening across Irish universities. Now, if you think that this is an issue that only affects students and their parents, well, you might want to think again. Universities are very complex organisations and they're much more than a place that provides education to students. They also provide us with uh, many of our teachers, our doctors, our nurses, our top executives and our skilled workers. They also develop many of our sporting heroes and our most successful exports. They're little mini cities which drive complex partnerships with major investors and they are less and less about simply educating people and more about fostering an environment which nurtures real talent. It all might sound a little bit woolly, but it is really an important part of why Ireland remains successful at attracting international companies who come here for sure for our tax regimes, but mostly because we actually produce a really highly educated workforce. So today to discuss, I will be joined by the president of Galway University and get his insights into the Irish university landscape and the challenges that it faces in 2022. I'm also going to talk to two people who operate behind the scenes that drive these mini communities and they're going to give us a peek under the bonnet about what goes on on a day-to-day basis. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, I'm going to be chatting to some students to get their view on what university life is like and the challenges that they see that are facing them in the middle of a cost of living crisis and an increasingly uncertain world. You can get in contact with us by emailing takingstock at newstalk.com or on Twitter at StockNT. But first up today, to kick us off, the Irish Universities Association recently said that they need an extra €400 million a year from government to cover day-to-day costs, as well as €490 million for buildings and other capital projects. They've said that investment in higher education in Ireland continues to lag behind our international competitors. Here to discuss the main issues that are facing the university sector, I'm joined in studio now by Kieran O'Hogarty, who is president of University of Galway. Kieran, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much, Green Market. Kieran, now I want to start off with uh, something that um, is kind of maybe affecting the landscape in a different way than we've seen in in recent years. The Irish university sector have been petitioning for years to have a standalone government department. And finally, in this administration, they got one. Has it made a difference? It has, I think, in terms of focus, first of all, because uh, previously we were in with education generally uh, for second and third level and, and understandably, that the, the uh, other levels possibly took uh, a lot of focus in the context of, first of all, their needs, but the population, the demography, if you like, and then the numbers of students in, in those levels. So it's 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 enhanced focus and then also developed a strategy. So I think since the department was established, there's a number of things that have happened. One is they've, they've developed a strategy for themselves and for the sector, a research strategy, particularly important in the context of the research landscape. And then thirdly, the HEA bill, which is soon to be the HEA Act, uh, coming through the House of the Eructus again, thinking about the governance of, of universities and, and accountability, which I'm keen on. I think universities need to be accountable and agile at the same time. Uh, and that, I think, has made a difference. So so the department has, I think, been very a very important next step for the sector. 
Uh, and uh, we've been working very closely at the minute on a number of different issues, including funding, as you've mentioned. Yeah, lots to, to thrash out there. The strategy is important, and part of that strategy is a, a new funding model. Um, can you take us through what that funding model might look like and give us your opinion on whether or not you think that that funding model that Simon Harris is now proposing could be the solution to the problems? Yeah, so just to, to, they have, first of all, committed to uh, an amount of about 300, 310 million or so uh, uh, to towards core funding of universities, which is really to bring us up to uh, what would be the level internationally. The funding of universities in Ireland has lagged uh, international uh, standards. So that's for the, for the operational, the day-to-day work, if you like. Um, secondly, there's a piece around research and uh, funding for research, uh, which again is particularly important in the context of competing internationally. Uh, we're not competing in Ireland really important for us is that our students, most of our students will work internationally. Whether they stay in Ireland or not, they will compete in an international context. So really important for us that we compete across that piece. And then thirdly, I think what's been important about this department, about about this minister, is a focus on student welfare. Uh, so the uh, in the increased uh, focus on the, on the SUSE grant, uh, increased eligibility, increased amounts. In my own view, I've often, and I continue to say this, the SUSE grant, both in its scope, in other words, numbers eligible, and the amount is not sufficient. But there aren't um, changes happening to the SUSE grant. Yeah, so they, they, there, there have been extensions to the amount, as I say, in the eligibility. Um, I think there's still a way to go there. I think there are still may, very many students in need. We find students having to work par- uh, part-time, some of them even full-time, which is not then getting the full experience uh, of, of, uh, of university life. So I think we need more support for those students and and. That's, as university president, I'm not advocating then for universities because that money wouldn't necessarily come to us. But I'm advocating for our students because I think it's particularly important for them. Uh, lots of issues come then with that as issues such as mental health, engagement uh, and progression in university. So for us, that's a really important aspect of the funding landscape. Indeed, and, and building that resilience for students and making the student student experience healthy for them, uh, you know, is, is a very important part of what universities do. Can I just talk to you a little bit more about that funding issue, if I, if I may? Um, what would you like to see then from the government, say, in the upcoming budget by way of funding, not just for the universities, but what would you like to see them do for students and help those families who might be thinking about sending someone to college for the first time in a very, very strained economic mm. circumstance. Yeah, so the number of things, first of all, the IUA, the Irish University Association has set forward a, 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 a need, if you like, uh, for investment. So I, I liken this to back in the in the 60s when it was decided to have free second level education and what difference that made to this to our generation. And I think there's another opportunity now to make a significant investment in third level. Can I just ask you about that particular mm. point? Is this investment, because it's a huge amount of money, mm. um, is it about catching up with international standards or is it about future proofing? Uh, both, but but catching up to great, because many of the studies, OECD, uh, the the uh, Cassell's report and others found evidence, strong evidence that we were, were lagging behind in investment in, 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 in third level and universities uh, more generally. So, so it is catching up and it's remarkable how resilient and how well universities have done in Ireland in the context of the funding landscape. It's down to staff, students working together, the importance of universities for, for society. Because I often think of, it. to me it's very interesting that participation levels are very high. Leaving Cert always comes, CAO always makes headlines. And then people tend to lose interest sometimes in the universities. And what goes on after the CAO and after Leaving Cert is, is equally important. And the engagement, the importance of education, 
people I think see it in a general sense that this is really important but but then within that are we prepared to then invest because again research shows the evidence has it uh, economic consultants reports and others saying that investment in, in education and in third level in particular and in research in particular pays for itself in the long run uh, it pays for itself in terms of employment of upskilling of the value of the economy of the knowledge that's in the economy of citizenship and how uh, students in our, our future um, members of society and so on. So there's a there is an it's it, to me it's not necessarily a cost to the taxpayer. It's in fact an investment which pays back. So there's that piece. Then there's a research piece which I think is also particularly important. Uh, there's there's a a plan to uh, look at the Science Foundation Ireland, the IRC landscape, the Irish Research Council. But in research, I think what is interesting for me is that again, if you look at the problems of society, housing, health, uh, COVID. Uh, all of those are f- the the solutions are found in universities and in research, and therefore the funding just doesn't come from from Simon Harris's department, but comes from the HRB in health, from Chagask in agriculture, from SEAI and EPA in environment. Uh, so there's a whole uh, enterprise Ireland uh, also in 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 the enterprise sector. So there's a whole range of departments which should really uh, be looking at at focusing on research. Uh, for the f- future of, of their department, if you like. And then thirdly, there's the student piece. Uh, and I think there's a certain amount of work being done there. I'm particularly keen on thinking about the accommodation needs of students who are in need. So uh, yeah, I'd be like, keen that we have funding for accommodation, uh, subsidisation for students in need who, who can't afford accommodation otherwise. Yeah, let's talk about that for a moment. Um, everybody who I've spoken to in researching this piece has mentioned the same thing in the first breath, which is the accommodation crisis that students are now facing. It's a huge issue. They're caught in an acute housing crisis. We also have the Ukrainian refugee um, issue, which is 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 being dealt with by the government as best they can. But it is a live issue and it's affecting university uh, students. Also, potentially more international students coming to Ireland uh, because of Brexit. Are we seeing a situation where more students will be forced um, to commute because they're simply priced out of accommodation. Is there simply just a new model of university engagement coming our way? Possibly. I mean, I think universities are microcosms of society. So there is a housing crisis in society. Uh, and as part of that, inevitably, students are finding it difficult and it's really, really challenging. And, and we have, you know, there, there's a set, we have set up a task force in, in Galway uh, to look at the short term needs, looking at, at maybe finding, first of all, within our own resources, uh, um, extra accommodation. So we're converting some houses, which we would have used as offices, into student accommodation. We're looking to work with private providers more and more. But what we're finding is uh, the Ukrainian situation is is one of those. A lot of landlords have gone to Airbnb. I was talking to my colleague this morning about 80 landlords in Galway, seems, has gone to Airbnb, so not available. That would have been otherwise for students. Uh, And then there's the whole demand uh, with, and it, so it's not only in Galway but more generally the demand supply situation around accommodation is particularly challenging and I think that's where we're trying hard in the short run we're building 670, 680 new beds on campus uh, in order to have more on-campus accommodation and our sense there is if we increase supply first of all it makes more accommodation available to students but also we, we would hope then 
does something for the for, for price as well, reduces or, or, or keeps prices flat at least. Are you feeling that pressure from parents who are frustrated about trying to, to get their children accommodation? Like, does the university deal with people like that directly? Yeah, so our student services people work hard on, on first of all, making information available and then helping students to find accommodation. So we're encouraging students to look as early as possible this year. Uh, I think we have another issue this year, another challenge for first years because first year uh, starts later because of the CO results or CO uh, points coming out later. So first years will be coming after everybody else possibly looking for accommodation. So so it is a particularly challenge for us. We have set up, We have, some of my colleagues have been driving around the countryside looking for empty hotels, empty accommodation where we could possibly uh, seek to convert it. Uh, but really, it's a huge challenge. Yeah, uh, and e- even that issue of more students commuting and living at home causes other problems. There's the transport issue, the costs mm-hmm. are obviously going up as well. And then you mentioned earlier trying to produce rounded mm-hmm. um, individuals, not just people who go to school, give them a life experience. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to News Talks Taking Stock with me, Mandy Johnson. I'm speaking to Kieran O'Hogarty. Kieran, just one of the other issues I wanted to raise with you is the that issue of the technical institutes. And I think that all but one of those are now universities. So is this changing the landscape? Um, are these new technological universities a threat to the existing ones? I don't think so. I, th- I think, first of all, we're, it's too small a country to compete. Uh, secondly, and I've always been of this view, diversity is really important in third level. So different, and I think the danger would be for the sector that we all try to be the same and that uh, we, 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 we kind of, by competing, we do the same thing for and, and offer the same uh, experience and and to, to students and I think that's that would be a retrograde step. I think there there was always a value in having different types of institutions, uh, giving different uh, uh, serving the, the the public differently, if you like. And I, I the, the distinction there for me is there are university and then remembering their technological university. So I think that diversity still remains and should be should be maintained. And it, thirdly, I think. Um, and I remember a couple of years ago being worried about this in, in another context and being reassured by a colleague in Barcelona, for example, where there are a number of leading institu- international universities, that if, if, if the more quality you have in any one location, then it becomes a, a place for a, a location for students to go. It becomes a magnet. Uh, so if you think about Boston, for example, Boston has Harvard, MIT, but many other really good universities. Uh, and that's become a destination for students, for faculty, it's synonymous now with high quality uh, education and research. So I don't think necessarily it is uh, a threat. I think if we work together, we can create something better. But I think I would again make the point diversity is really important. Yeah, and the risk is that we all become like each other, like each other and that would be bad. Just that international aspect. How do our universities compare internationally? I think, I mean, we're part of a, a network uh, the uh, European University Alliance called Enlight. And I always say, if you think about universities with the G, so Ghent, Groningen, uh, uh, Göttingen, uh, and then some with the B, Bordeaux, Bratislava, Basque Country. Uh, and we hold our own with some of those top leading universities uh, in Europe. Uh, so I think sometimes rankings can be deceptive. Um, they measure particular, I, I'm an accountant by background, I know that the fragility of numbers. So rankings are measure particular... It's very hard to compare like with very like. Very hard to compare well. like with like and, and measure particular aspects of, of, of a universities. But I think, certainly my own experience, I've been in five different universities. Uh, uh, in, I've been to, to Northeastern in Boston and to Victoria University in Wellington as well as, as three others in Ireland. And I would say that in Ireland we hold our own uh, to the experience in any of those universities. Uh, and I think 
sometimes we can be too hard on ourselves um, because we the other thing I think is we offer an experience that is distinctive. Why distinctive? Uh, I think you can get, first of all, a student experience in Ireland that you don't get elsewhere, the intimacy of, of university. So Galway, for example, it was a city of about 80 to 100,000. The university is 20,000 of that. So mm. it's one quarter to one fifth of the city. So the student experience there is particularly vibrant. Um, and uh, uh, secondly, I think there are aspects of what we do here in creative arts, in arts and humanities more generally, med tech, for example, in Galway, uh, IT and analytics and the environment where we have unique uh, facilities here. We have, for example, a research station at Macehead, which can't be replicated because it's on the edge of Europe, on the edge of the Atlantic. So there are aspects to being in Ireland that Better. are particularly distinctive uh, that you don't get elsewhere. And just turning to that uh, international uh, student experience, the UK has withdrawn from the Erasmus programme. Um, are more EU students now looking to Ireland? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like, do we have the capacity even to take more? Yeah, so we're finding we, we haven't seen many much increase in full-time student numbers from, from the EU Um and even internationally, the UK is offering a, a, quite a, uh, an attractive package now for, for uh, students coming from, from uh, other countries beyond, beyond the EU. Um, but Erasmus, I think, we'll, we're, we're, we've always had a, an imbalance in Erasmus of more incoming than outgoing. But I think uh, if you think about Erasmus and the history of Erasmus, it has been really very important in, in establishing a European citizen and going to another country, finding its not better or worse, but just different. Having that experience, meeting new people uh, and and seeing things that are different uh, and having that experience, I think is particularly important in establishing an, an EU citizen, if you like, that wouldn't otherwise be there in a European citizen. So I don't I don't see a challenge there for us. I think there's an opportunity in, in creating more for Ireland. I think the other thing I always think is if, if we have one student who goes back to another country and makes a difference, becomes a political leader, a civic society leader, a CEO of a company, and remembers Ireland. Uh, you know, we have footballers in the UK, for example, who studied uh, English in in Ireland, who who have good memories of here. So that also there's that kind of soft power that that creates. That's particularly important. Yeah. Just turning back to your own university, uh, NUIG changing their name in September. Can you mm. talk to me a little bit about why you decided to do that and why is branding important for? universities. Yeah, I think for 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 us it's it there's a simplicity around we're a university and we're in Galway, University of Galway. Uh on the Galiva University of Galway. So that, I think that's there's a, there's a simplicity around that that maybe was lost in in the previous name. Um I think we have certainly the feedback I've had is very positive. Uh and I think for me it's it's actually about uh it's a noisy, it's a noisy context for universities, and a cut through of something very simple uh, that we're in Galway and we're a university, uh, and also that there's that sense of, um, I think this is an opportunity for us, to, uh, almost like a, a reset after COVID, and we'd be using that opportunity to really enhance the vibrancy of uh, being, having no contradiction between being in Galway, a very vibrant international city, and also having a regional remit because of that, but also being international in our in our orientation. Yeah. Um, because we, we, we sell students short yeah. if we don't have that international focus. And we're, we're living in an era, aren't we, of succinct branding and mm-hmm. very clear messaging. Mm-hmm. Finally, before I let you go, can I just uh, get your take on coming back post-COVID or relatively post-COVID? Yeah. What will you take away and what will remain good things happened in COVID in universities as well as the difficulties that you face? So what were the positives uh, that you'll take away from yeah, COVID that are... Yeah, it's hard to find, COVID was a tough time, so it's hard to find 
positive, but I think one of the things we, I, I think for me, uh, we, we, I often tell the story, I stood in front of camera on, uh, to, to close our campuses uh, around that time in, in the spring of 2020. And we had about three weeks of the semester left to go. We gave a week for people to regroup and then we came back online. And I think what was remarkable to me is the extent to which you, you could have imagined people going to the four winds. They didn't. And we had that semester and a following one and another one and another and another where people just kept going, kept research and teaching uh, and engagement more generally. Uh, so there was that sense, I, I think, that the trust that we can have in, in our colleagues and in universities, and I think this is for, for listeners to think about, is universities are, are actually very responsible, accountable uh, and agile institutions that really responded to covid uh, and in that context, the research we did, uh, you know, a lot of our colleagues work in, in the medical devices area. So we did, we had uh, very early on research on on ventilators, making one ventilator into two to increase capacity. As time went on, patient uh, care and communicating, uh, families communicating with patients in the hospitals, then it became a crisis of humanity. So things like literature, uh, that engagement more generally, that that sense that we have community, all of that became really important. And I think the universities, again, responded to that very clearly. The third piece, I think, and this is one that, that's kind of strange, but I think coming out of COVID, we think, oh, you know, online is now a possibility. I think it also showed the importance of, of the experience on campus. Yes. Students missed being on campus. Now, they also miss, obviously, the flexibility of 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 online learning. Yeah, no, but it definitely extent. does change the experience it, when they're physically present and, and, yeah. and, and speak so, to that piece about a more rounded student. Well, Kieran, there's many other issues which we could have discussed today, but unfortunately, time has run out on us. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your insights. That's Kieran O'Hogarty, President of Galway University. Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, universities are big organisations. They have students, they've got employees, they've got sports complexes as well as housing a huge amount of students for their living experience as well as their education. So to discuss that, I'm joined now by Dr Declan Rafferty, who's Chief Operations Officer at Dublin City University and on the line by Lewis Purser, who's Director of Teaching, Learning and Academic Affairs at the Irish Universities Association. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome to the show. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, Maddie. Declan, I might start with you, please. So you're the operations manager of a big university. Your role is COO. What are the key issues that are facing you as you head into September 2022? As you said, universities are large, complex organisations. Look, DCU has 22,000 staff and students. That's the size of Port Leash. And it does operate 24-7-365. It's certain students' home, international students in particular for the whole year, um, it's a vibrant community and as we prepare for the new academic year it's getting the campuses ready in terms of facilities and timetabling is going on in, in the background and it's trying to make sure we have all preparations that we think we need for the year ahead. We've come out of the, the tricky COVID period and, and for once we're hoping we, we'll have a reasonably smooth year ahead of us. Um, there will be some real pressure points. The obvious ones being the economy, uh, the cost of living and student accommodation are going to be real pressure points on students and their families. Lewis, is that a common, um, you know, experience for universities across the country? Are they all dealing with those issues that Declan has, has raised there? Yeah, absolutely. And Declan's highlighted how, how, how big um, his, his campus is and his institution, um, and that's echoed around the country. Large numbers of students, large numbers of employees of different categories, uh, lots of students coming from far away. 
Uh, many of them uh, may be living uh, away from home for the first time. So it's a, a huge responsibility, but also um, a great fun. But it's, it's, it's a big endeavour. Declan, just on, on that issue of accommodation that keeps coming up every time we talk to anybody about the student experience and the difficulties for universities. Now, your campus stretches over a large part of the capital city, but you're also on the route to the airport. So the accommodation crisis for you in particular must be acute. How do you set about providing more units to deal with the housing demands? So we've just over 1,500 units at the moment and um, we're oversubscribed again. I think it's about six applications for every bed this year. Six applications for every bed. It's a, it's, it's an enormous issue and it's a society-wide issue and students are, are part of that mix. So we, we operate lottery systems, so students apply in a random lottery to allocate the beds and those that are lucky are, are delighted, I think, like any institution in the country, to get accommodation. We've tried to keep it affordable, so our beds, our cheapest bed starts at just 5,900, so it's reasonably affordable in the context of Dublin. Um, but the challenge is the broader area and the cost of and availability of affordable accommodation. Um, it's very, very difficult. We have planning commission for 1,243 additional beds. We have that nearly three years. The sheer cost of to build those beds, the sheer cost of construction is the barrier now because the level of the rent we then have to charge, we believe, is totally unaffordable. And increasing all the time. And increasing. But with, with the Ukraine issue and supply chain issues post-COVID, it is a huge issue. Now, in fairness, to be positive out there, we have been ongoing dialogue with the government on this. And I think they, in fairness to Minister Simon Harris and his senior team, they do understand it. They, they understand it very well. And I'm hopeful that there's a lot of work going on in the background that we're hoping that some kind of uh, scheme may be forthcoming that may allow universities to build affordable accommodation. This will only solve the issue in the medium term. We have to try and get through the next two or three difficult years and try and help students and the families get to that and make sure that the lack of affordable accommodation is not a barrier to education for those families and their students. Lewis, just to bring you in here, what type of supports could universities hope to expect from government? I know you've put together uh, quite a large submission to the government about what you'd like to see in Budget 2023. Uh, What's the Irish Universities Association asking for? So we're looking for a number of things in Budget 2023. The most important is that we get a front-loading of the delivery that Simon Harris, uh, Minister Harris, has already promised to put the uh, higher education sector on a sustainable funding base. We've been running on a, on a very empty tank for the last 10 or 15 years, uh, despite uh, delivering for the country, growing economy, growing population, growing student body. We've got great employment rates for our graduates. We're part of the, the, one of the top factors that brings in foreign direct investment. Um, so we're really delivering for the country, but we need we need the government to put the higher education sector on a sustainable funding basis. Declan, I just want to take you back to that accommodation in a slightly different way, if I can, um, and, and looking at the funding models that you're hoping for from government. If the accommodation crisis is not dealt with, and we're assuming then that more students are going to be travelling and commuting, um, you've been uh, Chief Operations Officer at DCU for 10 years. How do things like that uh, affect the student experience. I know you're committed to developing rounded students, you know, come out of college with a proper experience, but is that really the the proper, unique, different living experience that we've all had in the past? I think it has changed, Mandy. I think because of those financial pressures, a lot more students are commuting further distances, the cost of that, but the impact is actually on the broader student experience, as you said. A lot of learning goes on in the classroom, but there's a huge amount of informal learning that goes on outside of the classroom to that that experience on campus, be it with student sports clubs, student societies, those memories and friendships that you develop that mm. last a lifetime in many instances, and those attributes that you develop around emotional intelligence, leadership, communication, creativity, a lot of them are also nurtured outside the classroom to those experiences. But if students are commuting 
four or five hours a day back to cabin or Sligo because they can't find affordable accommodation or they have to work long hours in a part-time job to help fund that education. They're losing out on that experience um, and it ultimately will their careers and earning potentially be impacted down the road on that because of that. And I think that is part of what we said to government we need to address is the whole learning experience in universities. It's mm. That student experience that has now been severely impacted because of lack of accommodation and it is a barrier to accessing education. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to News Talks Taking Stock with me, Mandy Johnston, and I'm talking to Dr Declan Rafferty of DCU and Lewis Purser of the Irish Universities Association. Lewis, just to bring you back in here about that student experience, mental health and resilience is a huge issue um, for young people, um, but in particular during their university years. What can universities do to sort of make that experience better and and maybe builds that resilience within younger people that they may not necessarily have. You're right, Mandy. It's a growing issue and we see it across society and, and um, university students are no different. And, and COVID has obviously exacerbated lots of things, the sort of things that students should be doing, that Declan mentioned, meeting friends, uh, having new experiences, getting, getting uh, professional and academic experience living away from home, those were all badly affected over the last couple of years and many students are suffering. They've been exacerbated by some of the um, some of the financial pressures that we've also talked about, not just the cost of accommodation, but other rising costs of living more generally. Uh, we're hoping that as part of the funding for Budget 2023, that government will also be increasing as supports for students, uh, a reform of the SUSE um, Student Grants Mechanism, and there's lots of other ways government can support students and their families. Within the universities, there's very good counselling services. And, and is, is, that, is that left to the, to the individual universities or is there a sort of a protocol for universities to follow? Uh, they work very, very closely across the, all the different universities and share a lot of resources because they, ha- they have to. They have to be very efficient, but it's, it's also good, good practice. What we see with the, the student services generally is that they are under-resourced because of the, the lack of the sustainable funding over the last decade or so. We're, we're hoping very much that Simon Harris's new package will help uh, fix that, turn that around uh, and improve staff-student ratio, improve student services will all ultimately result in a better student experience and better student support on campus. Declan, just to bring you back in here, I wanted to turn to the issue of, of COVID-19 and the pandemic. Uh, what's it like uh, when you have to close a university down, 22,000 students across you know, so many campuses with all of your uh, staff and academics at an arm's distance? Like, what was that like? I don't. I don't think I'll ever forget that day, Mandy. That um, Leo Radker stood on the steps of the uh, Irish Embassy in Washington. We had taken a few steps pre- prior to that. We brought students home from China at the end of January, thinking China's a bit out of control. We just need the regional issue. And then, obviously, when the first cases emerged uh, close enough to DCU in North Dublin, um, we're starting to wonder where is this going. And actually, the senior management team were actually meeting in my office on that day. Uh, brainstorming around scenarios and the president at the time was actually in Washington because it was Pat St. Patrick's week if you remember and we all sat, sat in absolute amazement at what was just being told to us by the Taoiseach of the country of the day saying we're closing the country effectively. Were you surprised at the way the university was able to cope the way the staff were able to you know continue and the way the students responded did, did, that, did that surprise you? I think we should take that positive from that whole mm. experience if we all look back and remember the highs and lows of the early days of, of COVID, where the country shut down, you had 2K limits and then 5K limits. 
Everybody's learning from home, working from home. Pubs and churches closed in Ireland. Who ever thought the day would come? But if you think about the resilience that we kept going through difficult times, as we said, the word pivot was overused, but we pivoted to online learning, staff and the resilience they showed to deliver through an emergency and students' willingness to work with us to get through unprecedented times. I think we should take the positives from that, that our ability to get through very difficult times is incredible if we work together and if there's a reasonable approach. And I also think how we approached it from a, a government perspective and an all-of-government perspective. It was open, transparent, and I think we had trust in the chief medical officer, their team and the science, and we worked together as a country, which was amazing. Lewis, just bring you back in there. Um your takeaway from COVID in terms of the learnings we have, a friend of mine calls it, um, I think, an accidental experiment, he calls it. So what accelerated within the university sector because of it? Are there is there things now that will remain um, because of COVID? Yeah, um, staff and students were amazing during COVID and to keep the show on the road. I mean, as you say, it wasn't planned and therefore there's a huge amount of learning that's come out of it. Um, the big thing for me, Mandy, is the is the better use of digital technology. It's much more integrated now, much more widespread across all activities, um, obviously on the teaching and learning side, but also in a whole range of, of, of other areas too, and Declan would Declan would know a lot about that. What, what went on before was, I suppose, a little bit around the edges and very amateur, but the use of technology now is, is very blended. So we want students to be on campus, and the on-campus experience is really important, but there's all the online um, backup supports and uh, additional resources that, they, that are offered that really add to a student's learning experience. Declan, I'll leave the final word to you on this one. Do you agree there that everything's accelerated when it comes to online learning? Are you seeing a lot more of that being utilised in your university? I agree with you, Manny. I think it's probably the biggest experiment ever undertaken in online learning without any planning. We had literally signed a contract for Zoom, which I'd never even heard of four <laughs> weeks beforehand, and now it's on every device in our house. It was a, a, a hell of a learning experience. It has changed to certain degrees how we can deliver education and also run the university in terms of using digital technology, as Lewis said. But I think it also brought back to us listening and watching the students return, in particular in the last academic year, that desire for on-campus experience, be not just in the classroom, but also in terms of the social interactions, mm. they, they crave that. That's what was missing. Um, and they've missed a year or two of their lives. And I, I was always struck by an anecdote from a, a senior colleague last year in student support and development who said she had never seen a second year student in her office crying from homesickness. But she was dealing with that on a multiple, by, from multiple individuals. So people missed yes. elements of their lives, those growing up, those little experiences that we all needed. Take us from little staging posts. To, yeah. to, to adults, exactly. So th- that was difficult. But the, the, the learnings, we've got to look at the positives uh, and the resilience and how we can use digital technology in combined with that quality of on-campus experience is, is what we should take away from the whole COVID period. Well, look, thank you both for giving us a little insight as to what goes on under the bonnet of those large, complex universities. For now, we leave it there. That's Dr Declan Rafferty of DCU and Lewis Purser of the Irish Universities Association. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy. We're joined in studio now by Mida Nikinliuk from Connemara. She's graduating from UCD in September. She studied law and social justice at UCD and on the line by Ashleen Maloney from Ross Grey in Tipperary. And she's just finished first year in UCD. She's studying politics. Mida and Ashleen, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us today. 
Thanks for having us. Now, Mida, I want to start with you. This was your last year. Can you just take us back to your first year when you went to college and uh, what that experience was like coming from Connemara um, and maybe give us what your biggest learning is now that you're at the end of it? Um, well, I, biggest learning is one I'll have to have a bit of a think about. But definitely when I came to college, I was the only person from my school um, who came to Dublin, never really? mind UCD. Um, I didn't know a soul in UCD starting um, and on a campus of 30,000 people that was a bit daunting but kind of did my best to throw myself into things. Um, it wasn't always easy. I was commuting an hour and a half um, each way every day during first year. Um, so difficult to kind of take well, Where were you in. living then? Um, I was staying with family in Lucan. So you'd moved away from home to Lucan, you're with family there and then you're still travelling up and down. So even though you were near Dublin, you still had an element of commute plus you were missing your family. Yeah, definitely. Um, quite did, the change. Did it take you long after getting into the university life to feel like, oh yeah, okay, I, I've got this, like I, I'm comfortable here? Um, definitely took some adjustment, um, particularly when you're trying to balance academics and then the other pressures of having different time commitments and trying to make the most of not just your classes, but also societies and making friends and taking part in that social life that is so important mm. to college. Mm. Um, so it took me definitely uh, the guts of the first year to get adjusted to that. And I think I kind of found the swing of things in my second year. Um only to have COVID. <laughs> of course, along. and that, ch- that changed your whole experience. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Ashley, I might bring you in here. Um, so your, your your first year is down now. How did you find that? Overall, like, I think I had a good, pretty good experience for my first year, you know. You spent eight. you spent a lot of your fifth and sixth year in COVID, presumably learning from your, from your bedroom, your kitchen table. Yeah, um, from March 2020, like, I was in the middle of fifth year, um, and for the rest of fifth year, like we were just stuck at home, like behind the screen, trying to get in contact with our teachers and such. And then when we came back in sixth year, there were restrictions everywhere. We weren't back in lockdown for a while and it was we never really knew what was happening. So we were always kind of under stress all the time, like trying to figure things out. Mida, you, you mentioned there that your COVID experience as well in university was obviously very challenging. You missed out, what, on, on two years or one year? Um, a year and a half. Mm. Um the second semester of second year and the entirety of third year um, was completely online for me. Um, so I moved back home to Galway, couldn't even see my friends. Um, and how did that affect you? Um, it's quite difficult. I, I think it, it was something that was difficult for many students and many people will kind of recognise in their own experience that it's quite tough because while people may be able to focus on their classes and be able to do their lectures online, the entire social aspect of college and even the kind of soft learning you get walking out of a lecture and chatting about what you're doing or just the quick words in the corridor with each other was completely gone. Yeah. Um, And even all the learning you do from your friends from other courses who you just bump into around campus and that experience and that space for personal growth was er eradicated for a whole year for a lot of students. Mm. And you've now become the the welfare officer for UCD, is that correct? Yes. So you take your learnings and hopefully apply them to to students who are attending. How has that grown in your university uh, since you arrived there? Like, were there mental health services in the beginning? Was there social welfare officers? Do you see that there's um, the university are expanding those type of services for students? 
I think what we've seen in the last year is even when services are expanding, student numbers are also yes, expanding. Yeah. Um, so when I was in first year, there was, there was a counselling service, there was XYZ supports from student advisors and the like, but there is that continued pressure that's just been absolutely exploding since COVID because while previously they're dealing with students who are coming out of leaving cert and the kind of normal issues that come with that that still need to be addressed now on top of that There's you more. have the impact mm. of those two years online and like it's not something that happens in isolation either mental health is so linked with security of housing it's so linked with the cost of living it's so linked with your academics um that none of this happens in isolation. They all pile on top of each other. Um, we ran an accommodation survey last year in the Students' Union and we found that over half of respondents said that looking for somewhere to live had a negative impact on their mental health. Mm. Um, nearly half said it had a negative impact on their studies. And you kind of see that, that it's having this massive pressure that's only only continuing on students and making it more difficult for them to get the most out of their years in college. Ashley, I want to bring you in here. Um, students are unfortunately getting very caught in an acute housing crisis. How uh, do you deal with that situation? What was your accommodation like last year? Have you sorted the accommodation for next year? Yeah, I mean, I've heard stories from people who have had it worse than me, but I was lucky enough to be on campus accommodation last year and I was incredibly lucky to get out again next year. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to News Talks Taking Stock with me, Mandy Johnston, and I'm talking to Mida McKinlock and Ashley Maloney about university life in 2022. But it is changing the kind of face of um, student life, isn't it? Because um, more and more students are having to deal with either not getting accommodation within the campus and, you know, paying massive rents outside or this new phenomenon now, which we've seen over recent years, students commuting very, very long distances, still living at home with their parents. And they're not um, getting that rounded experience meter that you spoke of, like those soft learnings that you get, the joining the societies to be able to stay back. You know, they're not getting that, are they? Absolutely. We had last year, we had stories of students who were commuting to UCD from Galway wow. or from Belfast. And to them, it was simply what they had to do to go to UCD at all. But to anyone looking in, it's like, that is insanity that we are at that place now with this crisis. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's fairly grim out there. Mm. Um, I'm not going to lie. Ashley, just to bring you back in here again. So you're going into year two now. Um, what did you learn from year one? What are you going to do differently this year? I mean, I had a pretty good first year. Like, I got involved in the societies and students' unions and stuff. Um, I, I probably got a little too involved at times, to be honest. So I think I kind of um, figured out how to balance my workload more mm. and not to stretch myself too thin and stuff like that. Like, it's great to get involved in, like, the different events and stuff. But at the end of the day, like, you have a course to finish. Um, you have to keep on track of your studies and stuff like that. So I think that's the biggest thing I've taken away from this year. But, like, I really did enjoy my first year and I wouldn't have changed a thing about it. Well, that's good. That's very positive. Mida, just one of the other aspects we wanted to touch on today was that issue of financing yourself at college. Do you feel that's a, a burden on students now and something obviously that lots of families are are feeling the full effects of a cost of living crisis? Is that weighing on students' minds a lot, do you think, as well? Absolutely. Um, like as welfare officer, I have students coming in the door all the time who are saying that 
I'm really struggling to make ends meet. Do you think universities are doing enough to support them? Um, I think it's a tricky question because I think there's a certain onus on the universities to as as public institutions and they exist for the public good of all of our society. There is a certain onus to make sure that they're accessible to all of our society. That means it doesn't matter if you're from a working class background, you're from a single parent home, you're from a lower socioeconomic background, means you should still be able to get that same access to education. Um, And it's one of those things where there are many barriers in place and I think there's an onus both on the universities and on the government to act on that that and to ensure that there is that access. Because if we want to say that if you work hard, you study hard, you do well, you get to go to college, you get to do well, get your degree and succeed... That's not necessarily something that is reflected by our current situation, our current reality. Because the experience is so hard and so difficult then. Absolutely. Um, Like say in 2016, the Castles report came out and recommended that uh, one of the options, option three, which is supported by all political parties in this country, um, is to abolish tuition fees and to move to a state funded model of higher education. That was over a decade ago. Mm. And while there is that political support, we haven't seen the political action to go with that. And that's what people really, really need if we need to, if we want to move forward and make sure that this cost of living crisis is somehow addressed. Ashley, in your study in politics, why do you think that is? Why don't politicians pay enough attention to the third level sector when it's clearly responsible for bringing in many of the multinationals who invest here because of the the quality of students that we produce. Why do you think politicians don't pay enough attention to it? I think a lot of factors can come into that. I think it's just because students like there's this general view that students just don't get involved in politics or vote as much or use their opinion as much as they should. So I just don't think the politicians think that it's worth focusing as much on third level universities because they don't think that they'll reap the benefits from it, I suppose. But um, like obviously all politicians aren't the same and some of them do really great work with students. But I think that's um, the biggest factor in that. Mida, as as you uh, exit the university life now and staying there obviously to help others, um, have you thought of what your biggest learning was from year one? Hmm. I'd say my biggest learning from my first year in university is that there's so much about university experience and college life that happens outside the classroom and the real soft skills and valuable things are in being able to be part of that community and support that community and that's what we really need to push for going forward. Ashley, just a final word to you then. You're studying politics. What's your aim? Um, I'm studying law with politics. I don't know where I want to take that degree yet. Um, I'm kind of keeping my options open. But like I'm really interested in like diplomacy and that kind of work um, as well as the legal sector. So I'm just kind of taking it as I go um, and seeing what comes up in the next three years. Okay, well, thank you both very much for sharing those insights with us. And I want to wish you well in your future endeavours. I'm sure you'll both be very successful. For now, we'll leave it there. That's Mida McKinlock from Connemara and Ashleen Maloney from Ross Grey. Mida and Ashleen, thank you both very much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, William. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of Taking Stock. And now, while we broadcast at this time on Sunday mornings, we are, of course, available as a podcast first on the News Talk app on Friday mornings. My thanks to all of today's guests and to producer Aoife Breen with Jojo Cardoso on sound. 
So from Taking Stock with me, Mandy Johnston, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Taking Stock with Mandy Johnston. Thanks to Skillnet Ireland. Sunday morning at nine on News Talk.